Welcome to another extra-large-sized edition of Talos Takes. Today, you'll be hearing a recording of a webinar that Martin Lee from our research team held, along with Paul Lee from our Cisco Talos Incident Response Team, as they discussed the basics of incident response plans, uh, took some questions from the audience, and also provided some advice for any organization who is looking to test their IR plan or create one from scratch. Well, good morning and good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to this webinar coming to you from Cisco Talos, Cisco's security research and threat intelligence organization, uh, entitled Getting It Right, uh, Pre Preparing to Respond to an Incident. Uh, my name is Martin Lee. I lead uh, Talos across the EMEA region. Um, I've worked in threat detection for 18 years now. Uh, seven of, uh, of those have been at Cisco. And um, it's my honor to be joined today by Paul from our incident response team. Um, Paul. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Paul Lee. Um, I've been doing um, digital forensics and general IT for about uh, 12 or so years. And I spent, and uh, four of those years has been at Cisco in the Cisco Talos incident response team. Well, thank you very much, Paul. Um, if you're not already familiar with Talos, we are Cisco's security research and threat intelligence organization. Our role is primarily to take all of the various data sources that um, are available to us, um, use that to understand what the bad guys are up to, understand the threat landscape and what's what's new, what are the what new things are the bad guys doing, and use that to support our product portfolio. So uh, creating the updates, the signatures, the rules, the detection and reputation engines uh, that power Cisco's security product offering, and indeed also to provide the threat intelligence service. We very much see ourselves as being part of the security community. Um, we're not only here to uh, protect our customers, but also to protect the internet as a whole and act to, uh, to try and secure the internet for everyone. And we're very, very honored to have been recognized uh, for our work, both through our peers in the security analysis community, through our award from Virus Bulletin. Uh, we've also been recognized by SC Media, and we take great pride in releasing many of our software and tools open source for anyone to use. Um, one of our internal tools that we've developed to help us uh, reverse engineer malware was recognized as being the best open source tool for IDA Pro, which is the leading uh, malware reverse engineering program uh, just last year. So we're very, very proud to be part of a larger organization uh, working together to help secure the internet as a whole. As part of this, we work together with a whole range of partnerships, uh, both across the uh, public and private sector. Uh, one of these, which is, I think, is a very good example of the type of work that we uh, that we help support. The U.S. Department of Justice are seeking to hold to account many of the individuals that uh, they believe are responsible for being behind uh, many of the largest cyber attacks over the past few years. And uh, we're very, very proud indeed to be able to help out our partners in the public sector 
in order to help hold to account the bad guys for their actions. We see our strengths as being really based around these three pillars. Um, as part of Cisco, we have really an unmatched visibility of everything which is happening on the internet. Uh, we have an awful lot of raw data available to us from um, various sources of telemetry. Uh, we also have our honeypot activities and also our intelligence sharing partnerships where we get a lot of information uh, coming back to us. Of course, having all of this raw data uh, really means nothing unless you can make use of it. And um, again, one of our key strengths within Talos is being able to transform this raw data, these very, very large amounts of raw data into actionable intelligence. So information that we can do something with and recognize what the bad guys are up to. And then with that actionable intelligence, respond collectively. So that means not just responding through, uh, through the product sets to protect our customers, but it also means responding together as part of the, the wider security community in order to secure the internet as a whole. We now offer as part of our services um, a Talos incident response. So as a commercial service, you can actually make use of, um, uh, uh, of our tools and our data set and our analysts um, for your own needs. The key thing about the Talos incident response is that you don't need to wait for an incident before getting us engaged. Um, if you do purchase the incident response retainer, of course, you have a number of hours of our um, analysts available to you. Um, if you do suffer um, an incident and you need emergency response, of course, those hours will be available to you. If you're fortunate enough not to experience a, uh, a, an emergency during that time, you can still put those hours to good use and still use those hours of our analysts' time that you have purchased for your own needs. Um, you can do intelligence on demand. You can ask our analysts questions about what they're seeing in the, um, in the threat landscape. Uh, what are you seeing? Getting, getting some information back about the types of things that might be concerning you about the immediate times. You can use our analysts' time to prepare for a future incident, which is what we're going to be talking about today. So you can use our analysts to prepare your incident response plans, your playbooks, look at what you have in place and see whether, uh, whether it meets your needs. We can assess your, um, your network and your architecture. We can conduct training. We can go through tabletop exercises and actually practice things. We can take your analysts uh, and your SOC teams and um, try them out. Um, in a real live fire safe environment where they're responding to real malware, but in a controlled environment. Of course, we're also there to help you with detecting threats. Um, you can use our time to uh, look to see whether any of your data has been leaked or if there's any indications that you've suffered a breach. We can help you with threat hunting and use our skills in hunting threats that we put to, to good use across the internet in your own environment so that we can hunt down um, any bad guys that might be affecting you. 
And of course, we can also use our skills from an offensive point of view and um, conduct penetration testings against your environment or uh, report what does your infrastructure look like to a bad guy and where might attacks come from. So what we're going to talk about today is planning for an incident. Um, first question, well, why? Why Why indeed should you plan? This is a, a very, very good question to ask. Um, I think now as a time of year is a very, very good time to reflect on attacks. Um, one thing is key, attackers tend to hit at inopportune moments. So we're not too far away from the holiday season at the end of the year. Um, certainly over the previous years, we've seen um, attackers hit at some very, very inopportune moments. If you think back to 2017, um, WannaCry, um, I remember this incident very, very well. I'd spent the, uh, the week speaking at a conference, uh, interestingly enough, on the risks to critical uh, national infrastructure through self-propagating uh, ransomware. I returned home very late on a Thursday night, and I distinctly remember my wife on the Friday morning saying, oh, you know, why don't you take the day uh, uh, easy today, Martin? Um, you're looking a bit tired. And within a couple of hours, we had the indication that WannaCry had hit. Uh, and then, of course, it's all hands to the pump and spending the whole day and indeed the weekend um, understanding what's happening and trying to manage that incident. Not Petcha um, happened. Um, weeks later on the 27th of June, of June. That date probably wasn't a coincidence. It was the eve of uh, a public holiday in Ukraine. Almost certainly uh, not a coincidence. Um, however, also much the same as WannaCry. I actually had the next day booked off on holiday for um, a family event. Again, this massive incident happens and I distinctly remember giving a briefing whilst traveling down the motorway to um, a family do with my wife driving and I'm on the phone trying to brief people over what had happened. Uh, solar winds happened shortly um, before the Christmas holidays last December. So at the time where people are thinking about winding down, again, we've got a major incident that, require, that required responding to. And again, um, the Casey VSA uh, breach, which hit shortly before the July the 4th, um, U.S. holiday weekend earlier this year. So, you know, attackers aren't dumb. They're always thinking when is the best time for them to launch attacks, which typically is going to be the worst time for you. You already have plans in place for non-cyber incidents. The analogy I, I always use for cybersecurity is it's very similar to um, to a fire and fire preparedness. Um, if you think about your office environment um, or even your home environment, if you're working from home, you almost certainly have a smoke alarm which will detect when an incident is happening. You may well have a fire alarm which is going to set off and alert everyone in the building when you have a fire. I'm hoping and I'm fairly sure you're going to be prepared to resolve small incidents with a fire extinguisher or the ability to fight fire near to hand. If it turns out that actually that incident is beyond your own um, firefighting capabilities, again, everyone in your organization knows what to do. 
Um, if the fire is getting out of hand, you will look for the fire escape, you will get out of the building, and you will call in the experts who are there waiting for your call and will respond within minutes. You have all of this in place in order to deal with non-cyber incidents already. However, if we look at the probabilities, over the next 24 months, you have approximately a one in three chance of being hit by a data breach. On the other hand, you have approximately, you know, in the region of about one in 250 chance of experiencing an office fire. So you are drastically, drastically more likely to experience a data breach in the coming months than you are an office fire. However, I would, I, I would even bet money, I am betting that you are already better prepared for dealing with that very, very rare and damaging occurrence of an office fire and a better state of preparation than you are for a data breach. So those first steps that you need to think about in terms of your preparation um, is that first point, can you actually detect incursions? Do you have the, that cybersecurity posture so that you could detect the actions of a bad guy within your systems? This is the first step that you really want to have so that you can identify if you have an incident happening and an incident in progress. Even if you don't have this level of security in place at the moment, um, it's not really that you're that you're going to be living in um, uh, this wonderful state of bliss where incidents can't possibly happen to you um, because you can't detect them. Um, you may well be in a state where, although you don't necessarily have the ability to detect incursions, someone else does. Um, so. 51% of organizations have experienced a data breach caused by a third party. So even if you think that your cybersecurity posture is completely impregnable, there is no way that you could possibly um, suffer a breach. Someone that you work with who handles data on your behalf or processes data, they themselves might suffer a data breach which affects you, which you're going to have to respond to, even though this wasn't something that was um, your fault or under your control, you may still suffer a breach um, nevertheless. Or indeed, you may well get informed by someone else about a breach that affects you. So 50% of breaches are actually detected by organizations outside of the one that was breached. You may well get informed by um, law enforcement, um, by your customers or service providers about the fact that you yourself has, have detected a breach, even if you didn't detect that. So um, I think one thing that, that's important to recognize at the beginning is um, you don't necessarily need to plan. Um, ad hoc responses really can work. Um, you can rely on the um, individual best efforts of your team. 
Um, you know, often in an emergency, this brings out the best of your people, and you may well find that you have some absolute stars, if you didn't know it already, on your team who are able to rise to the occasion of a breach and uh, deliver, you know, potentially a heroic response in order to resolve things. But if you're just relying on that ad hoc response to an incident, we start identifying um, weaknesses in that. Um, certainly, you've got that risk of duplication of efforts, where you may be doing the same thing twice through different people, potentially in different teams, because they don't know that the other one um, is, is doing the job. You certainly risk that issue of some of those responses being over hasty and slightly panicked, because it's something that people haven't planned and prepared for. They're not expecting it. Um, so they're going to respond according to their to their gut feelings and what they think is um, is necessary. Um, but mostly, I think the problem is one of it's very, very difficult to improve on something that it is that you haven't defined. If you set out those steps of what it is that you're going to do in advance, this is something that you can work on to improve. And I think that old adage, um, failure to plan is planning to fail is actually true. Um, the great, great strengths of preparing your instant response in advance is that this allows you to coordinate that plan and coordinate the steps that you need to respond to an incident in advance. A plan is something that can be distributed to different team members and different functions to get their feedback and for them to prepare um, their own role in that organizational response. And also, if you have that plan, this is something that you can rehearse. It's something that you can practice. It's something you can work through in advance in the same way that you practice fire alarms and fire drills. You can do the same thing when it comes to incident responses. So you can test that plan, see what's working, what isn't working, and change it if necessary. One of the things to think about in terms of your incident response plan or your response to an incident is who will be involved in that incident. Certainly, your cybersecurity team is, is going to be involved. Um, you know, they're the people that you might think are going to be primarily involved. They are certainly going to be the ones that are identifying the source of the breach, where the bad guy has come from, how did they get in, what steps did the bad guy take, and take the steps to actually block the bad guy, cut off their access, cut off their command and control infrastructure so that things don't get worse. You've then got that role, which may be split over, over different teams if you don't have a specific team, for, for bringing actions back to normal, backing up, you know, recovering your systems from backup, restoring them to that pre-breach state before you were breached, so that you're getting functions back to normal again. Certainly, you're going to need the involvement of your IT team. Um, once you've restored a system, um, we do need to verify that that system is, is, is functioning correctly and all the functionality that your organization re, um, relies on is working up and working again. Um, there may be post-restoration uh, problems where some of the changes that have been made to that system weren't reflected in the backups because they were made post 
the last backup being taken. Um, there may be steps that are required in order to reconfigure some of those systems in order to uh, remove um, uh, an insecure configuration, or maybe those systems need hardening. And again, those systems will need testing to make sure that that's worked and that hasn't taken away vital functionality. Already, we've got three different teams or at least three different roles that we can see. So certainly we're going to require a coordinator. We need someone who's going to coordinate between the various teams, um, keep track of the tasks and resources and who's doing what and when is a task due to be completed. And we also need that person to act as a point of contact. Um, there's going to be queries which are going to be coming in. Somebody needs to field them. We certainly don't want to distract our teams which are restoring functionality. So clearly, we need a coordinator. As part of this, you may well um, wish to have um, external instant response consultants who can use their experience in responding to these kinds of incidents. Um, they can provide expert guidance and just their expertise to these teams, resolve problems, um, speed things up, um, provide advice, indeed also collect the forensics of who was behind the attack, how did this happen, those detailed forensics, which is very much uh, an expert job, and identify the root cause. What was the reason that led to this breach so that you can address that and make things better in the post-breach um, environment? We also want to be able to make sure that although we might have um, removed the attacker's initial breach of your organization, um, they may still be persisting somewhere. And again, this is the type of thing that you want to get experts in who are expert at threat hunting to be able to identify, is a, is a bad guy still persisting in your organization? If so, how can we remove them? So this is the first set of teams which comes to mind when we think about who do we need to respond to an incident. But of course, it doesn't stop there. Um, there's many, many other teams involved as well. Um, if that breach has affected employee data in some way, or potentially if there was insider involvement, you know, not all breaches are being uh, caused by external malicious hackers. You may well have someone who's uh, connected to your organization who was partly involved in the breach. This is something you need to get your HR inv um, team involved in. So we're going to have to involve HR in some way. Um, you may well need to liaise with regulators. There may be regulatory uh, involvement in your breach, um, notably with notifications. Who do you need to notify and when? Um, this is going to be, you're going to need your legal team involved here. Similarly, if you've got those forensics, um, going to want to liaise with law enforcement as well. Hopefully, we can hold the bad guy to account for their actions and identify them and um, you know, hopefully get them uh, put behind bars so they're not attack attacking further organizations. You're going to need your legal team's involvement in order to help with this. You're not going to be able to keep quiet about it. Um, your customers are likely to want to know what's happening if you can't supply functionality that um, you've you're under contractual obligations to supply. 
Similarly, your suppliers are also probably going to want to know what's happening. So we're going to need some form of external communications to third parties, informing them about what's happened. And once we start informing third parties, we may well get media involvement as well and have media wanting to know what's happening. So, yeah, we're, we're going to need the PR team in order to take lead on communications. Our CISO, um, the guy who's in head of information security is certainly going to be involved in this. Um, ultimately, breaches will come under his, his or her jurisdiction. Um, it's going to be the CISO's role to direct those business recovery organizations, uh, operations, and lead that post-compromise improvement so that the thing doesn't happen again, and also keep the board of directors informed. Um, ultimately, the board is responsible for the risk management process. They need to be kept abreast of um, any findings about the breach or indeed what's happening. And also, we're going to need them on our side um, in order to secure the budget. So actually, when you start planning this out, this becomes quite a large operation. Um, it's possibly larger than you might imagine um, at first glance. So what are, we, what are we actually going to need within our plan? Certainly, we're going to need to know what's the criteria for kicking off this plan. Um, when are we going to move from something just being an event, something which is business as normal that we can handle and deal with um, as part of our usual operations, when does this escalate into something that becomes an incident when we're going to have to involve other teams? So we need the criteria for declaring an incident defined in advance so that we know what an incident looks like so that we can respond appropriately. Not every event is going to be an incident, um, but when an incident happens, we need to recognize this and we need to respond. We need to know who decides. Um, who is it who's going to you know, press the button marked instant and actually kick this off? Um, given that attackers hit at inopportune moments, so what happens when somebody identifies that there's something that meets the criteria of an incident in the middle of the night um, on a public holiday? Um, are you expecting them to liaise with the person who might not be on duty, but who's uh, nominated as the incident caller? Um, what happens if they're on vacation and aren't available? Or what happens if they're at a party and um, actually are, uh, should we say, incapable of making a decision? Um, we need to think about these things um, in advance and think about, well, what is it that we are actually going to do? Our plan will need a strategic overview, something which is at a very, very high level which is describing how the various pieces of the plan fit together so that we can describe to the people who are involved in responding or indeed to senior management what it is that we are going to do at a very high level and how do these pieces fit together. So whilst a strategic overview is very, very necessary, it's not on its own sufficient. We're also going to need that tactical overview of describing what are the processes that are actually going to be followed. 
when we're experiencing a, um, an incident, what is it that we need to do? Also, who is going to do it? Um, who is actually going to carry out the various part, parts of that plan? And when something needs to be escalated because it's become a problem, or maybe it hasn't been delivered as soon or as quickly, or maybe in the same way that we'd expected, who do we escalate that to? Who, who do we need to tell? And how do we notify people that actually something has changed and we need to modify this or do something again? Um, these things need to be described in advance. So actually, our tactical plan becomes very much like a map um, that tells us that if we find ourselves in this particular position, we know we need to get over here. How do we actually get there? What are the steps that we need to take? Who do we need to involve? How do we go about this? And once we start thinking about this, we're also going to identify other things that are, that are, that are important, that question of notifications. Um, who do you need to tell? And at what point do you need to inform them? This may well be a regulatory uh, requirement. It's certainly something that you need to, um, to be aware of. Or indeed, you know, what, what is it that you need to say? What are, what, what are you going to tell them? What information are you going to impart? Given that at any one point, you're certainly at the beginning of a response, you're not going to know the full picture. You're not necessarily going to know what's happening. Um, other than in some way there is an incident and you may have suffered a breach. So we need to think in advance, what are the new notifications? What is the communication? At what point do we need to say something? And indeed, do we actually need to say anything at all? Or is there a, a, an absolute minimum that we need to say that's actually going to be the optimum strategy? We need to think about how are we going to get back to normal once we've contained the incident, once we know that it's under control, we know that the bad guys um, are no longer actively causing us damage. What is it that we're going to do? Um, who is going to do that? And most importantly, in what order? Is there certain prerequisites that need to be in place as we start bringing functionality back? Um, often we can't just start restart functionality in any old order. Certain things need to come up first and be available for the next thing in plan um, in the step. So what does that plan look like? Are there any tools that we need to have in place um, in order to do this? And indeed, in setting out this plan, we may well find things that um, really are absolutely impossible. You know, who is going to restart that server that hasn't been touched in eight years? Um, you know, what are the dangers in doing that? Um, is this something that we may well need further and additional expertise in order to do? And we're only going to find these things as we set out that plan and as we start going through it. Most importantly, we need to rehearse. Um, we can think about plans. We can set out plans from a theoretical background. Um, but really, we're only going to find out weaknesses of that plan as we work through it and check amongst all those various teams which are involved what works for them, um, what actually isn't going to work at all. Is there anything that we need to modify? Also, rehearsals are a very, very, very good opportunity for building relationships um, so that people know who's going to be at the end of that phone call or at the end of that contact when they need them, and they know who is contacting them and 
why. So we need to identify what isn't going to work because you know it's great on paper, it's great as a theoretical point of view, but actually it's not going to work in practice. Identify those gaps you might not have thought about. And most importantly, we're going to be prepared so that when that incident happens, everyone knows what their role is, what is it that they're going to do. Once we start rehearsing and we start going through this high level plan in any detail, it's then going to become apparent that there's actually more things that we need. We'll certainly need those playbooks. So those step-by-step -step instructions that actually describe those processes that we may well have listed at a high pro at a high level within, within the plan itself. Um, people who are going to be asked to implement the plan will need to know exactly what are the steps that they need to take. And these are going to have to be spelt out in detail like a cooking recipe within your, within your playbooks. So as you work through the plan, you're going to find little by little more and more and more detail is required. And again, in advance is the time to do this because it's not when you're in the middle of an incident um, when you know there is going to be that little bit of panic in the um, in the air that you find out that actually you don't know how to do a couple of these steps. You don't know what's required. You don't know how to do it. Sort these things out in advance. And in the post-incident process, when um, everything is over and we're sweeping up the mess and everything has been restored to function, at that point, we also need an additional process of thinking about, well, let's learn from this. Um, how do we do better? How do we respond better? What have we learned from this experience? And most importantly, how do we prevent a repeat? How do we re prevent history repeating itself and reducing that likelihood that we're going to suffer the same kind of incident in the near future? Almost certainly, you will identify deficiencies, and that post-incident time is the moment to think about those and remediate that and move your security posture forwards. Use an incident as a learning experience in order to make things better. So let's talk about um, how we can help in Talos. How can we actually help you um, prepare for incidents? Well. We can certainly help you prepare your plans. Um, what we can offer is we can use the expertise of our incident responders who have responded to incidents before, um, who have seen uh, best and also worst practices, use their expertise to help you set out your plans in advance and set up that living document that can grow and be amended to and can be um, changed and improved within your own organization, but get you to the point where you have those plans in place so that people know what to do. As you go through those plans, you're also going to need those playbooks, those step-by-step -step instructions. We can certainly help you with that as well. Again, help creating that documentation, which is accessible to your teams, that they know where it is. So that again, when you have an incident, everything is spelt out and people know what it is that they need to do. And that also those steps can be rehearsed. Indeed, if 
you're fortunate enough already to have um, your instant response plan and your playbooks in place, which is absolutely brilliant, um, what we can do is assess that. Um, we can come in, look at those plans, look at those playbooks, playbooks, use our experience to actually give you feedback on how those things can be improved upon, identify any gaps, draw up an action plan of what it is that you need to do in order to prepare or even just to make things just that little bit better. Or even, you know, why not um, just give you that peace of mind of having a look at it and saying, you know what, actually, this is pretty good. Um, and you're really at the top of the game here. Even knowing and having that kind of feedback can be very, very useful um, in for your own preparedness. We can provide tabletop exercises. Um, we can walk through the types of incidents that we see and provide that as a tabletop experience, working through your plans so we can look at, given this type of scenario, what's likely to happen? And does this match with what you have written in your, in your own plan? I mean, one of the little nuggets that was shared with me um, is that often organizations um, have communication as a key part of their, of their plan because we need to coordinate and communicate between different teams. Well, what if the bad guy takes out your email server? How, how are you going to communicate then? Um, if key parts of your organization's functionality are taken out apart as part of the incident, what are you, what are you going to do? How are you going to um, uh, work with that? So again, bringing that real world experience of the types of things that bad guys do can really, really help sharpen up and improve your planning. So again, this is another service that we're very, very happy to, um, to offer. So um, let's talk uh, a little bit about experiences. So um, Paul, uh, can you share some of your experiences with um, with instant response and uh, specifically for planning? Sure. Uh, thank you, Martin. Uh, so as an instant response consultant, I've worked with a lot of different organizations, both with and without incident. And from you know, from my experience, the ones that do have a plan are more likely to just have a smoother response and recovery process. You know, they're less likely to make mistakes in containment that can lead to uh, reinfection. They're less likely to uh, accidentally erase critical evidence that may prevent root cause analysis. And just generally speaking, it's just good to have that plan so that people can have uh, something to reference, especially during emergencies. And are there any best practices for planning that, that you can share with us? Right. So I would say uh, first ensure that everyone who's involved in the response process is understands that there is a plan and not just the technical teams, you know, not just the IT and security teams, because they you know, they deal with this very often, so they know that 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 they are that there is interest. But like uh, you know, your communications, your HR, legal, uh, compliance, business operations, and that way, you know, when a major incident breaks out, it's not really a, a new process anymore. And also, I would say uh, a testing and review process, because as cybersecurity is constantly changing, you want to ensure that your incident response plan grows with your organization and grows with the with the, uh, with the landscape. Cool. And how can Telos help prepare organizations? Oh, so um, we have a lot of different service offerings from, uh, you know, IR plan development, which can range from, uh, 
you know, if you have a very, if you have new organizations that's just, that's just kind of establishing their incident response policy, you know, we're more than willing to create a very generalized uh, boilerplate type document that will just help set them up for a very, uh, a very good base. For and for more advanced organizations, you know, we can, are more than happy to review all their existing uh, documentation, uh, suggest uh, changes, reviews, and just ensure that it's aligned with all of their, uh, their existing uh, uh, regulatory requirements. Okay, thank you. Um, I should say to everyone on the call, we will be doing um, a question session at the end. So please, please, please um, enter any uh, questions that you have for us um, in the comments tab or in the Q&A tab, and we'll get to those um, in, a, in a minute or so. So um, call to action of what you should think of doing is certainly start by mapping your assets. Um, have an idea of actually what it is that you're responsible for, what is comprising your organization, and what needs to be prioritized within, um, within an incident. Um, have awareness of what is the team that's going to respond to that. Um, make sure that they're aware of it and when they might be called, so you have that in place. And also, most importantly, know, know your notification requirements. Um, you may well have uh, legal duties to uh, uh, notify people, so know about the data that you have in your environment and any legal um, ramifications about that uh, relating to notifications, because that really is something which is quite important. I would strongly, strongly recommend you to keep abreast of what's happening in the threat landscape. We publish everything that we are able to on our blog. So everything within the threat landscape, which we think is of interest and which we think that you need to know, we will publish. So keep abreast of the changes in the threat landscape, the types of attacks that you're likely to um, experience. Um, certainly, the bad guys aren't getting any dumber. Um, we do see an awful lot of innovation within um, uh within the bad guys, within the threat actors. So you need to be aware of that because you need to know what the bad guys are up to in order to protect yourself against that. Um, we are very, very active on social media. Um, so please, please, please keep um, uh, abreast of what it is that we're finding so that you're aware of that. And also make sure that you've got our contact numbers um, or our contact details on hand um, if you need us, but again, remember, you don't have to wait for an emergency in order to get um, to get in touch. We can help you prepare for um, an incident if and when it happens. So with that, um, I'll open up for questions. Mitch, what, what more can we say? What more would people like to know? Well, uh, we have a couple questions here. So welcome from the control room here. And let's get a couple of these questions out. Like Martin mentioned, you can just drop a comment where you're watching on YouTube or Twitter. Um, I'm, I'm looking at the stats right now. It looks like our uplink to LinkedIn is down. So I don't think anybody's watching there. I'm being told LinkedIn is having trouble, not us. So that's, that's on there. So I don't think anybody's watching anything on LinkedIn right now. But we prepared for that, Mitch, right? I mean, we, 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 had, a, we had a response so are, plan. Um, yes, so you are also that. able to, to join us on YouTube and on Twitter, and you can just leave a comment there. Uh, John Munchar, our intrepid social editor, is out there collecting those and getting those back to us. 
a couple that we do have already. Uh, the first one we got is how often should folks update our incident response plan? Uh, and how can we test those plans when we update them? That is probably going to take a second to answer. So I'll leave you guys to that. And also, I will defer to Paul on this one. Um, I, I think Paul is the expert on this. Right. I would say at least once a year that you want to just go through and review your incident response. Um, more if you can, but it's just whatever um, your team's available to you, whatever, whatever uh, your available bandwidth. And you want to test it through something like a, a tabletop exercise is a very easy way to test it. You know, you just, just walk through the major steps of, a, of an incident, just go through your uh, you know, business op operations uh, and business continuity plan, and just ensure that um, you know, all the weird missteps that might occur during an incident it can be addressed. Fantastic. Uh, so we have we have another question uh, coming in. This one's relating to the, the, the person's asking if they should start with, there's actually a couple questions, so I'm going to put these together here. Um, one, is Red Team a good place to start in terms of an incident response plan? Uh, and then there's, I guess, a follow-up to be, that would be, what is, if you guys could both kind of go through the difference between a Red Team and a Purple Team exercise? There's a few questions on that as well. So if I if I can take that, so yeah, I mean, having a, a red team is someone that takes the um, the role of an external threat actor, um, trying to um, execute those those hacking operations or, or looking at your system as a malicious threat actor would from the outside, trying to find those holes, trying to find the gaps. Um, I think the thing which is um, very important to to remember is the bad guys will be looking for any weakness. So if there's any system which isn't quite up to date and fully patched, I mean, you may well be very, very proud at having a 99% patch rate, which is wonderful. However, the bad guys will be looking for that 1%, um, those easy ways in. So that's a very, very important thing to um, to uh, to remember and to be aware of. Um, similarly, from the from the inside, it might not be obvious the way that a bad guy would look at your systems. It's often quite difficult to sort of step out of your role as a defender and thinking about things as a, as a defender to step into the role of, of an attacker or to have that external validation of someone coming along as a friendly attacker to look at your organization, look what it looks like from the outside and think, how is it that that would be um, that would be attacked? Um, purple team is about having the attackers um, embedded within you. Um, so working together um, hand in hand with your um, with your defenders. So a, a bit like a DevOps um, operation and going through it step by step and working very, very closely with um, with your defense team to look at, um, uh, at what it is that they're finding. Um, Paul. Right. I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, there's a key difference is whether or how, how much um, your security team knows what's going on. And Paul, I mean, can I follow up on that? Is, is this something that you find um, that actually when you start doing that purple teaming exercise, um, that, the, uh, that the internal security analysts within that organization don't necessarily pick up on the traces that are being left by the attackers? Is, is this a common problem? I would say it depends on how you want to approach it. Just, you know, for our red team, it's more of a of an honest view, I guess, of the of the organization. Whereas, you know, you know, your security analysts during a red, uh, red team exercise, they don't know what's going on, 
it's it's more aligned with what they're going to do on a normal day. Whereas for purple teaming, they might get a, a fuller view of the attack, but they but it's also not as as aligned with what might happen like regularly. I'll take each has its own advantage. Fantastic. Uh, that is going to do it for the question queue for right now. Uh, fortunately, most of those questions were were very much aligned with each other. And unfortunately, we we're missing all of our questions from LinkedIn. So, but I do, uh, I want to thank everybody for joining us and, and toss it back to you, Martin, and to you, Paul, uh, to take us home and, and close us down for the day. Okay, well, I'd just like to um, thank everyone for um, for attending. I hope this has been informative. I hope that it's something that um, will give you cause for thought and maybe um, you know dust off that instant response plan and go and have a glance through it and see if it meets um, your requirements and the needs of your organization and the threat landscape as it, as it stands. Paul? Right. Um, just if you guys ever need any, any sort of uh, assistance, you know, our team's always standing by. And you can stay tuned for the highlights from today's broadcast on our social channels and join us next time for our next live stream that will probably be announced very shortly hereafter. Hope everybody has a fantastic day. Thank you very much.